Welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's David Jenkinson. Today we hear from Dave Clark, EVP of content at Nent Studios UK, about the distributor's plans to move forward and how integration will inform its relationship to sister companies such as Nordic Streamer Viaplay. Ellen Rees, Entertainment Commissioner at S4C, and series producer Katrine Honeybill about producing their fast turnaround lockdown special of the popular 5K wedding factual entertainment format. And Ellie Lehrer, Exec VP and Head of Programming at History in the US, discusses the effect of lockdown and production halts on A&E Network's History Channel and what the network is looking to be pitched by producers as restrictions ease. Dave Clark, Nent Studios UK EVP of Content, tells C21's Michael Picard about the distributor's plans moving forward and how integration will inform its relationship to sister companies such as Nordic Streamer Viaplay. He also talks about how the business has fared during the coronavirus pandemic and upcoming projects including Finnish Mystery of the White Wall and Norwegian Crime Procedural for Life. What kind of uh, changes have been put in place? Um, just a, a, a lot more collaboration and uh, consultation with not just uh, the producers in the group, but also Viaplay, combined with a, you know, I, I suppose a shared um, ambition to make it work. Um, because, in, you know, in, until a year or so ago, there was really a very limited amount of official integration or collaboration for, for, for what is a, what is clearly a, um, you know, I think a bit of a sleeping giant in terms of it, the, the, the pieces of the vertically integrated jigsaw that it's got, um, it never saw um, uh, fit to, to integrate them in a meaningful way. So that process has been sort of going on and accelerating for, yeah, prob- probably a couple of years and then, and then accelerated more, um, more quickly in the last year or so. So it, it's, it's, it, it's been a, a sort of a, a gradual process. And can you, I mean, can you talk then about, I guess, that relationship going forward now with Viaplay, with the production companies and, and how does, you know, the distributor formerly known as DRG kind of uh, fit into that jigsaw going forward and, and, you know, finding content to take out to the international market? That's something that is going to, you know, I think there will be further accelerated change post rebrand. Um, as I say, nothing really happened there and then uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and, you know, that's partly because of the uh, the timing um, and the you know the global situation, but I think you will we will see um, uh, an an even deeper level of integration. Then I guess to more um, immediate uh, events, I guess around the world. I mean, how has you know the the pandemic and and the lockdown and and I guess specifically the the production shutdown that we've seen in a lot of countries. How has that affected? you know, the business or, um, you know, the, the content that you do have coming through the pipeline? A mixed bag, I suppose. Um, and, you know, some of the projects that we're involved with had to uh, shut down or, uh, you know, production, which was um, on the plus side. Um, obviously, we've got um, several shows. Actually, the, the timing the timing on, certainly on For Life and, and, and Whitewall, you know, just squeaked in under the, uh, you know, under the closing door, if you like, of, uh, of the lockdown. So for life is now fully delivered and doesn't launch until the autumn and, uh, and white wall is the same. So the final post process took a little bit longer due to lockdown, but um, we were lucky enough to, uh, for, for everything else to have been completed on those shows. So um, that's, I guess that's the upside to, to for, for a distributor to have brand new um, high quality drama coming uh, down the pipeline when you know that the rest of the world is, 
sort of edging closer and closer to a you know situation where their supply lines will dry up quite rapidly. Um, so that's 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 not a terrible position to be in when you're a distributor. But of course, we 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 still require the lockdown to ease and production to start as soon as possible. How have you then spent you know your time over the last few weeks? Um, and you know, have have you been you know developing new projects? Have you been able to have those meetings that you would have had in Cannes and and other places over the last few weeks? Yes and no. Um, I mean. You know that I suppose that first that first sort of three or four weeks at least of the lockdown was basically controlled panic for the whole industry and indeed the whole world. It's it's never stopped being busy. Um, I think is the uh, you know the, the takeaway, but for for different reasons. Um, development obviously continues, and and all the producers that we work very closely with, all they can do clearly is throw themselves into development. That that's been ongoing, and you know drafts and redrafts of, of scripts are coming at a slightly more accelerated rate than they might have done if uh, we weren't in lockdown, which is which is all good. You know, I'm I'm very sort of active in supporting the sales team in terms of uh, ensuring that they've got as much new content um, uh, hitting the the, the, the catalogue as quickly as possible to, to satisfy that global demand. Have you seen that demand changing at all in terms of what buyers are looking for in this certain period and, and maybe what they might be looking for, you know, over the next few months? Not really in terms of sort of tone or, or, or genre, I don't think. And, and, you know, in terms of appetite, as I say, that, fir- that first month really was, I think, a difficult time for everybody. So that, um, and then that has picked up, you know, the appetite, the global appetites have picked up um, since then. But tone-wise, tone you know, I think where possible obviously broadcasters are still very keen they they need to be selective and and and, um that's why we're you know we're lucky to have as i say high quality projects uh, in the can and um uh, and ready to deliver and and i mean just on the distribution side i mean how do you see the business sort of um you know rolling out over the next few months as production starts to sort of ramp up again in various countries i mean how is the business going to change and, and will be changed by what's happened over the last few weeks um, I would expect a, a slight shift in, you know, commercial broadcasters' attitude to um, and, and flexibility, if you like, with um, uh, access to full tariff rates for, for originals. So, you know, with ITV and Channel Four and every other commercial broadcaster around the world suffering from the, the ad market crash um, and budgets being cut accordingly, I, I do wonder if the the slightly more traditional co-production marketplace could see a bit of a, a a bump. Historically, many British broadcasters, for for sure, and certainly you know, American networks as well, um, have always preferred to pay full freight and retain full control um, of projects. Even if you know, ultimately, certainly in the UK, ultimately they're only paying a, a, a relatively small percentage of the of the overall budget. Um, I, I wonder. Um, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if um, uh, you know drama departments um, across the UK will need to look at um, being a bit more open to some of those um, uh, English language projects that uh, they don't necessarily need to pay full freight on in order to um, to secure a high quality piece of um, British content. Uh, because I think there are there, there will be increasing opportunities out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think ITV probably have been the most active in that 
uh, in that space historically and I'd, and I'd like to see a bit more of that. Do you think there's going to be more focus now on sort of local language domestic dramas that, you know being picked up as acquisitions around the world or where, where is the place at the moment for sort of non-English language drama? The sort of non-English language drama um, boom continues uh, globally and most networks are now set up with you know a variety of slots for that for that programming um, you know with I suppose the um, you know, certain shows making it all the way through to sort of main channels but you know a huge amount of slots or indeed specialist SVODs like uh, like Walter um, kind of hoovering up the majority so um, that I, I don't think that's changed whether or not you know, I, whether or not you're going to see foreign language uh, sort of forced into um, some of those more premium slots because of the shutdown. I don't. I, I don't think we we know the answer to that yet because we don't know how um, how quickly and smoothly production will restart in the, in the UK in particular, um, and what the time lag is going to be. It, it, it's possible for sure, but whether or not you're going to see yeah the 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 major commercials doing that certainly in the UK, um, it, it remains to be seen. I, 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 Channel 4, I, I would imagine, might be the most likely candidate to, to do so um, right now. You sort of mentioned, um, you know, White Wall and, and For Life that you have coming up. What are some of those other sort of new non-English language dramas that you have on your slate? And, and are you noticing any trends in terms of, I guess, Scandinavian drivers in particular or, or other trends around the world in terms of what's what's coming to market? Um, well, for, for Life and White Wall are the, uh, uh, remain the priorities for us. Um, there's... Uh, that um, alongside July 20, uh, 22nd, which you probably know about as well from NRK, are the, the, the primary focus for us in our foreign language um, catalogue right now. Certainly what you can see from For Life and Whitewall is a, I think, a conscious effort from Scandinavian producers and networks to move away ever so slightly from their that, that, that sort of international comfort zone that people like to associate them with of, of, of noirish uh, shows. Uh, and I think... You know, both of, both of them sort of di- diversify quite nicely from that um, that starting point with with White Wall using genre and sci-fi in particular as a starting point, but still retaining some of the uh, the stylistic and tonal elements of a, a traditional noir and, and and for life taking the traditional crime tropes of um, of Nordic noir and then giving them the, a, a very a very modern. Uh, twist and, and, and a sort of a not just a, a levity that you very rarely see in um, in, in Scandinavian drama, but also um, bringing you know episodic and procedural elements to um, to a primetime show, which certainly in, in in Norway has has never happened at all, um, which is is crazy to think given the uh, the nature of the the, the Scandi production and broadcast business for them not to have made a procedural crime show. Um, I think possibly ever, but certainly for decades um, seems crazy. That that's how deeply ingrained in sort of uh, serial noirish drama they've been. I mean, I'm just looking forward. I mean, I guess the the SVOD players, Netflix and Amazon and others, have had such a huge impact on the the rise of kind of or the spread of non-English language drama around the world in terms of the money they've put into shows and, and acquisitions as well. I mean, how do you see that marketplace playing out? Is it going to be confined solely to those in the main or do you feel that it's become going to become more mainstream as, as you know, these events unfold, but also will kind of stick around as, a, you know, a permanent fixture in, in schedules? Obviously, the SVODs are, you know, by sort of definition, natural 
um, risk takers commercially and editorially. I think it's quite a leap. You know, I think it'd be quite a leap for a significant amount of foreign language drama to sort of um, seep through into, you know, Channel 4 main schedules or BBC 2 main schedules um, outside of, um, you know, the, the sort of mega brands that have um, been established over the, over the years. I, I, I'd love to think that that's, that's something that will happen. I think that obviously, as we know, the quality is there, the, the, you know, the writing talent is there, the production values are there, the talent's there. So there's, there's no reason that they shouldn't. And yeah, perhaps, perhaps the, um, the experience of watch, you know, people watching Money Heist or uh, something like that on, uh, on Netflix would, would soften the blow perhaps for, uh, for a lot of viewers to tune into subtitle drama on, uh, on terrestrial networks. But yeah, I mean, if it, if it takes a, a global pandemic to uh, uh, to push that genre over the edge into mainstream schedules, then uh, you know, so be it. It, it wouldn't be it won't be the uh, the only thing I'm sure for the global pandemic to be responsible for. And, and just, I mean, are, are there kind of challenges that you foresee coming up in terms of um, you know industry um, thoughts on you know events returning or, or not returning or how? you know, the industry, you know, what, what kind of challenges the industry is facing over the next few months and, you know, for the rest of the year, maybe? We're working with um, a production company right now on a show that was due to go into production last month and, and now is, um, you know, hopefully going to go, um, you know, start turning over at the end of August. All producers who are in that same boat or indeed producers who are in the boat of having had to down tools and, and needing to complete shows are... You know, cautiously optimistic, but I, you know, I don't know. I get, the, I get the slight impression that there's more optimism than than, than caution um, uh, right now. Um, but you know, it, it won't take much of a, a scientific setback uh, over the next couple of months for uh, for things to to slow down again. Um, but there's such a huge imperative for things not to be affected in the same way ever again. And obviously we will be prepared. It won't be as bad. Whatever happens, um, he says, touching wood drastically, uh, it, w- it won't be as bad as the you know, big surprise that the world was taken by uh, means that it's impossible to replicate that level of uh, shock to the, the global system. Yeah, a sheer desire to get back into production and, and to return to normality and, and the, the nature of the, the, the guidelines that were released earlier this week and... You know, they, they feel like guidelines that are designed to help, not designed to make production almost impossible. You know, I think the, the draft guidelines that came out a couple of weeks before that felt, you know, very draconian. But a couple of weeks before now was a, was, was a different place. And a couple of weeks from now, we'll, we'll be in a very different place. So, th- you know, that's I think that's the defining characteristic of the whole crisis is that things are just moving on a so fast on a daily basis um so we we can only hope that they continue to move in that positive enabling direction over the coming weeks and months and then um, we can you know fingers crossed look back on uh these few months as a aberration rather than as a, a sort of a trend dave clark 
S4C launched a fast turnaround lockdown special of its popular 5K wedding factual entertainment format on Sunday, May 31st. Entertainment Commissioner Ellen Reese and series producer Katrine Honeybill of Boom Kimry told gun accused how they pulled it off. The making of the show, its timing and how the process is opening up new ways of thinking about content and approaches to production going forward. Reese also outlines what she's keen for producers to pitch beyond COVID-19. First and foremost... I've got nothing but praise for the sector in Wales. They've really just taken this, you know, it's a small sector, but thriving sector and so creative and everybody's just gone for it with creative ideas. And I think because we're a small commissioning team where we have to do a lot and everything, we're very hands-on and very hands-on with the sector. And I think um, it's just been perfect partnership that we've just we've just embraced it and uh, the sector's been fantastic and Priotas Pimil, the 5k wedding is one of the most popular entertainment brands that I have and it was in the it's on its fourth yeah fourth series yeah, it's yeah. when back to Wales people love it every age it's one of those that always gets high figures every age it ticks all the boxes in every way for us everything that's difficult at the moment with reaching younger audiences feel good heartwarming it ticks all the boxes and they were in production so every morning as a commissioning team we were having meetings what could we do adapting and because we're such a small team i think we could go quickly and that's what we were we we, we have compared ourselves we're not like the big beasts of the bbc that we are because we were in production going, well, well, this can't carry on, this can't carry on. And rather than looking at the gloom of everything, right, how can we turn this around? So with so many weddings cancelled, you know, it's like, well, we can't do it. Well, can we? So I just rang the production company and said, OK, with lockdown, do you think we can go into it? I'm leaving it with you, but it'd be great if we could do a lockdown wedding. Do you think we could find a couple? what's possible and they came back i think within a day two days i found a couple we can do it and it's all to do with that attitude the important thing about priodas pimil is it's heartwarming it's not about creating a wedding that's uh, that you know they know they're gonna have a special day for the yes. 5k yes. what they're getting is worth far more than 5k because all the families and people give and it's such a heartwarming series and it's one of these that it's just the thing that people i think the audience needed at this uh, at this difficult time they didn't have a big garden they didn't have any of that they lived no. on the top floor of a flat you know the way that you've embraced and done this yes zoom has been fantastic we're all using zoom but you found different ways as well because an hour is a long time to fail with with you know limited technology yeah but yeah. I, i've watched it over the weekend again now and it's I've laughed and I've cried and it's fantastic and I'm so proud of the team that we've managed to do it. Would we do it again? Well, we don't know what's happening, but yes, we've got the series, you're going ahead. And if weddings can't continue, I'm sure after watching this, lots of people have been prepared to go for this because it's full of surprises and what they're getting is a memorable day. Usually this week, we have the largest youth festival in Wales. Rather than which was cancelled, but now we've created it um, in the house that is called Eisteddfod Tea, and it's running all week. People, thousands of children across Wales have uh, put UGC dances, singing, yeah. um, everything. So 
so but it's across every genre that that lots of exciting things are going you know um we've followed a school as well which has been in the shutdown because we did have a series called my sinkla in carnarvon we have now followed that with all the children how they coping um so across every genre but as far as priotas pimil i'm so chuffed with this because i know well how the team have worked incredibly hard i'm so proud of them and um, I think Katrin can tell you more of how you've done that. <laughs> yes, Katrin, now maybe, maybe now's a good time for you to jump in. And yeah. uh, could you talk us through a little bit about some of the, the ways in which this particular version of um, Wedding for 5,000, um, or Wedding for a lot more than 5,000, maybe it should be called, <laughs> was made and, 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 and what you ended up modifying and, and why particularly? Yeah. Health and safety is a massive concern. Um, when we started making this, it was the pandemic was probably at its height in the UK. So that was a primary concern, first of all. Um, and then how to make that work with the format, you know. Um, so we thought, right, who are we going to need to see on screen most importantly? And obviously we've got two presenters who carry us through the whole programme and they're key to the whole thing. And our couple, obviously. And we call uh, them our Phil and Holly. They are yeah. our Phil and Holly. People love Tristan yeah. and Emma. They are just the recipe people want at this time. They are yes. heartwarming, are they? Yeah. Oh, they're our aunt and deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> has this all, has everything, like the entire process, was has has it all taken place remotely? Um, I'd say about 90% has. Um, all the prep pretty much was unless we had sort of user generated content so sometimes our contributors if they would go and collect something or they had something delivered to their house they'd film that for us so that was the only sort of remote stuff happening at the time on the wedding day or the blessing day itself um we had a couple of things happening outside that we tried to work within the rules and the guidelines um that we were able to work within so we had a photo session um, and that took place outside, obviously at distance, but it enabled us to just sort of offer something a bit different on screen as well. So it was an all just inside and all just sort of the Zoom call intensity of it all. So um, we did that and we had a drone operator on the day as well. So that really helps with just sort of cutting to and from the Zoom call and gives you something else on screen as well. And you had the um, band outside, didn't you? Yeah, we had um, a band again, all three metres plus apart from each other, performing outside. Um, again, that was a health and safety consideration. So we had a, a floor manager outside managing if anyone would gather and that kind of thing, really. Um, and the band um, lessened the members as well to work within sort of, you know, the least amount that they could work with on the day. Um, were the groom's favourite band, so it was a nice surprise when to open the window of the flat and look down and be like serenaded <laughs> by um, his favourite band. So that was lovely as well. Um, but the rest was indoors, in their flat or in the presenters' houses, and then all the guests as well. So we had about sort of 18 feeds, as it were, on the Zoom call on the day. I know that Wales has had its own. Um, and S4C ha has had its own set of in initiatives for the local production industry. But mm -hmm. with both of you now here, it's a, it's, it's a great opportunity to ask you about, you know, are you at a point where you can start to implement a wider range of productions? I've got so many shows. 
popular shows from now till Christmas that I've had to look at them. Is this, I'll be going through green, can we go with it? Amber, oh, danger, red, no chance, you know. But it's creating those amber into possibles without using just the Zoom and everything and being creative. And, and brands like Jonathan, we're discussing now, one of them, you know, our rugby shows. Well, how are we going to do that? Whereas audience is key. But the set is big. We're finding ways of bringing families in, possibly, um, and creating Jones family, Davis family in the orders, you know, and, and just creating something new is, you know, I don't want to talk on behalf of drama and everything, but we're in constant discussions, what we're doing and how we can adapt, you know, with our soaps like, every, like everybody else in drama. But as far as our formats, we are finding extra new ways of, of working. We've got Shebach um, Maur now, the boom actually doing at the moment, yeah. Um, yeah. which is called Little Spaces, but we all like creating fantastic spaces in our gardens. We've got three different experts um, and they're all at home creating their own special spaces. But we've got one camera person there filming over time. They're filming. So we do, it, I, I think these some of these formats that we're creating now, hopefully, can carry on because the formats are strong enough. But now looking forward now towards Christmas, we're thinking more strategically, nothing to do with COVID. How can these formats be adapted? How can we create new formats in a new creative way? It's yeah. all that timing is crucial. And that's the, that's the difficulty is gauging where people are at. At the moment, it, you can sort of gauge it. Yeah. Looking forward now to Christmas, gauging yeah. is, um, is a bit trickier. Ellen Reese and Katrin Honeybill. Ellie Lehrer is VP and Head of Programming for History US. The experienced US cable buyer discusses the effect of lockdown and production halts on the network's history channel with Clive Whittingham and what he's looking to be pitched by producers as the restriction eases. I've been in the job for almost three years at this point. Prior to that, I worked at the company running nonfiction for Lifetime. Uh, for a number of years. So I've been with the A&E networks in various capacities for just around six years. How, uh, how has it been running a television network or involved in the running of a television network during all of this crisis and lockdown? Look, it's been both challenging and incredibly heartening. Uh, challenging for the same reasons. I think it's been difficult for <laughs> any number of businesses. We've had to adapt on the fly and radically alter the way we do business. Um, and many of the plans that we had put in place have had to shift and evolve pretty significantly. Um, I think heartening because it has been really amazing to see how the, the channel and the company as a whole have adapted uh, pretty seamlessly to some pretty fundamental shifts in how we do business. And I have to say, I think, I don't wanna speak for Paul Buccieri, um, our president or Rob Sheridan, my boss, but I think everyone has been really impressed with the way the company has adapted and how we've been able to uh, keep our stride and be incredibly productive with um, some pretty challenging circumstances that the company has actually in many ways, it's weird to talk about during a global pandemic when so many people 
are struggling, but I think the company has actually been able to continue to keep the momentum that we had had prior to this. I'm now on video conference for, you know, eight, nine hours a day, uh, which has some advantages. You know, I, you know, interestingly, a large, I'm based in Los Angeles and a large part of my team was based in New York. So I was always working and managing remotely to some degree and on video conferences a fair amount. But there's an intimacy to this, right? You're in people's homes, you're in their faces. That has actually been nice on a lot of levels. There's certainly parts of it that are harder and I've watched producers adapt and evolve how they pitch. And, you know, I think that is harder in many ways. But in terms of dealing with the team and managing our processes, as I said earlier, I think it's actually, we've figured out how to do it relatively effectively in a quick period of time. Everyone is in the same boat to one degree or another. Any complaint I have, everyone is dealing with it. So there's a commonality to it that I think is makes it all more palatable. Look, like everyone, we had a number of productions that shut down as as the country and the world went into lockdown. We, over the last two months, we've been assessing each of them on a case-by-case basis to figure out what is the safest way to resume production and how that will impact uh, the shows and the teams. You know, we're, we're very lucky as a channel in that we had um, a healthy amount of shows that were completed uh, and sort of in the pipeline and ready to air that would carry us for many months into the future. So in that regard, there hasn't been any real disruption to what the viewer experience is. Um, And our hope is that as the world starts opening up and we adapt these productions, there won't be any kind of gap down the road that we can't fill fairly easily. So we're lucky in that we have a, we had a deep bench of shows like Forged in Fire and American Pickers and shows of that sort where there are episodes, again, sitting on, sitting on the shelves ready for us to air. So I don't think it's impacted our air in that regard. And you're not anticipating maybe sort of six to nine months down the line needing to turn to say acquisitions or repeats or whatever to to plug stuff that you would have been making now this summer? Well, look, there's certainly shows that we were planning to air in the summer that have been pushed uh, down the road. Um, I think everyone is dealing with that to some extent, but we have enough other you know, pieces on the chessboard to play with that I think we can fairly seamlessly fill the schedule in a way that the audience wouldn't notice. I'll notice it because I know what our grand plans were and how they've had to morph and evolve. But I think to the viewer, they won't, they won't experience it. That said, we have looked to the acquisition marketplace more aggressively over the past few months. Everybody being stuck at home, presumably, has, has meant audiences have gone up. We've certainly seen that um, not mirrored in the ad market, obviously, but audiences of figures have certainly increased. What's worked particularly well for you guys during lockdown? Any specific shows or types of shows? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've had, again, I'm very loath to, 
to celebrate anything when the world's in the state it is and people are, are struggling the way they are. But we've had a couple um, really smashing successes in the past couple months. Uh, one is The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, which is a new series we launched behind Curse of Oak Island, which is our biggest show. And that has, you know, look, that, no, that actually launched in post lockdown. Um, but that's done incredibly well for us as a new series. I think it's the number two or number three biggest new series on cable in the past year. Um, and then I think the real um, signature success we've had was actually last week with our grant, our Ulysses grant mini series, which launched on Memorial Day and um, attracted millions of viewers each night over three nights. Um, and I think that speaks to, um, you know, the new direction of the channel. I don't wanna, that's overstating it, the new direction, but our recommitment to doing real core history, premium documentary programming, and the fact that that was able to find such a large audience is, is incredibly exciting for us. And look, that is, if I'm being honest, we were able to launch that on Memorial Day because a lot of the typical competition that might be there, in particular sports, is not, is not available for people right now. So typically Memorial Day weekend in the United States is fairly dominated by basketball programming because it's the, the NBA playoffs are reaching um, a peak. None of that is there now, and there does really feel like there's a huge appetite from the audience for fresh programming. So we thought, um, what better time to give people something like Grant? Uh, and it was really heartening to see the response. So we heard a lot uh, at the start of the lockdown about how clip shows and archive shows might be a way out of this for, for channels, and that can work very well for, for historical programming. Was that a route that you guys thought about going down? And, and if so, how did it go? <laughs> yeah, well, look, as the History Channel archive-based shows are always a space we're actively developing in, so that hasn't changed um, that's always been a, a piece of our, our programming mix. Clip shows, it's interesting. You know, we looked at the success our sister network, A&E, was having in that space pre-COVID with shows like Court Cam and PD Cam. And it was clear to us that that was a space we should be exploring more aggressively. So interestingly, we had put a number of clip shows into development at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, pre-pandemic. We've accelerated the, um, the development and the green lighting of a few of those uh, for, for the obvious reasons that they are fairly COVID-proof from a production standpoint. I don't, we're not gonna radically alter the composition of the channel by overindulging in those, but I think there is kind of independent of the pandemic, there's clearly an opportunity and an audience for those shows if they're executed at a high level like Court Cam. So we're, um, 
we are doing more. There will be more of that on our, a little more of that on our air in the next six months than you would have seen a year ago. Um, but we're also very cognizant of not, you know, I'm skeptical of how much the audience wants to watch a bunch of shows that are produced on Skype and, you know, self-shot with fairly low production values. I'm, I think there's going to be fatigue with those kinds of shows very quickly. And I think they're short-term band-aids that don't necessarily serve um, the channel long-term and whatever resources you're devoting to those are resources you're not devoting to something else. So, you know, as we looked at those kinds of shows, it was, you know, it's a zero sum game and we ultimately decided we'd rather commit our resources elsewhere. And look, those can be done at a very high level. Look, we've had a show alone on for many years that is all self-shot and it's incredibly compelling and hugely successful for us. We just, you know, we've been very judicious about what else we do with that kind of production aesthetic. How is this situation going to change um, what you commission moving forwards? I mean, for instance, um, would, you, would you be more reticent to commission a, a show that involves a lot of international travel and international filming um, in, the, in the wake of this? Yes and no. We certainly ask the question with anything we're developing or greenlighting right now, what is the production potential? for this. Is this the kind of show that even if we love it, we're not going to be able to do anything with for a year? So we'd be irresponsible if we didn't factor that into the programming decisions. On the flip side, you know, we have a number of shows that will be tangibly impacted. Their production will be more difficult, but we're not walking away from those shows. What we've chosen to do is green light as much pre-production, scripting, research, as can be done in the current environment to get them as close to being ready to green light for production as possible. So once that window opens, we, we can move there. And when I say scripting, I'm obviously not talking about our, our docu-reality shows. I'm talking about things that are more like Food That Built America, that you know, are these docudramas that do have a pretty significant drama, you know, component that does need to be scripted. You guys, uh, have, you, have you got into discussing further down the line any other changes, not just the international travel, you know, how it is going to change moving forwards what you guys are commissioning? Again, I think we're always going to be guided by what we love and what we think will drive an audience but we do need to make sure that there is a percentage of our slate that is producible at any one time so um as you can imagine the premium doc stuff like grant or men who built america that has a fairly significant scripted component to it those are very challenging shows to make right now they also tend to be shot internationally which adds on another layer of complexity. We're also greenlighting as many shows that are producible as possible to kind of make sure the portfolio is balanced. One of the things we're really focusing on is kind of a retrenchment in doing core historical documentary. That's always been a huge component of the brand. It's helped define our identity. 
and there's been a recommitment to it at the channel over the last year or two and we've seen great results from that with shows like Washington and Grant and the food that built America um, you know where we are a little thinner at the moment is in global history uh, we history channel obviously has something like 140 channels around the globe and while they they love much of our american content i do think we we could do a better job of finding topics that speak to a global audience and that is an area of focus for us right now and moving forward so i would encourage pitches that actually do have an international subject or an you know would appeal to an international audience um and then in terms of what else we're looking for look it's the we have very clear lanes that have worked well for us over the years like historical mysteries with shows like the curse of oak island or the lost gold of world war ii uh skill-based competitions like forged in fire or alone all of those traditional categories continue to be uh, key targets for us. We're, uh, you know, so there's not anything, you know, there's not any one area I would tell people to exclusively focus on or warn them away from. I mean, look, one of the things we're trying to figure out, and I do think is a challenge, is trying to, you know, predict the mood of the audience or the country a year from now, be, you know, trying to be kind of an armchair psychologist. Um, so anything that is too specifically driven by, you know, um, you know, one end of the spectrum is let's do a history of viruses or pandemics. We haven't wanted to do that because I think it's, you know, there's a worry that people are, going to have fatigue from just thinking about that subject. The other end of the spectrum is let's do something that's focused on the economic uncertainty that's coming. Anything that kind of feels too distinctly tied to the current moment or what the moment might be in six months, those are areas I would tend to warn people off of, if that makes given, sense. I mean, given the um, obviously, we're all seeing what's going on in America at the moment. It, it, does recent history and sort of how we got here politically, is that something for History Channel or is that again something that you would probably shy away from at this point? You know, we have found anything that feels overtly politicized has been a tough fit for our channel. Our audience, you know, what they have told us repeatedly is, if they want to engage with the news of the day, they will go to CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. They, they want the History Channel to be a bit of a respite from that or to provide a broader historical context that isn't directly tied to what happened yesterday or a week ago. So while we've certainly had success with more some contemporary subject matter, and by contemporary, I mean the past 20 years, we do tend to look farther back. And, you know, when we're at our best, we pick and choose stories from 100 or 150 years ago 
like with Grant or like with Food That Built America that do actually illuminate what's going on in the country today, just not as explicitly as if we were doing something, um, you know, a little more polemical about the current political environment. Ellie Lehrer. That's all for this week. We hope you're safe and well wherever you are and getting back to some sort of normal. We're back next week with another great lineup of interviews from around the TV world. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening.